Welcome to the Mind Behind Leadership live here on talkradio.nyc. My name is Graham Dobbin and every week we talk to leaders from a wide range of areas and industries. We've spoken to network builders, heads of non-profits, TEDx speakers, gold command even for emergency and contingency planning. We all know this, that to become a leader, it starts somewhere and we need to develop ourselves and that's what we're going to focus on this evening. This week, I'm really delighted that we've got someone who's shown leadership qualities from a really early age. That's Michael Durant. Now, those qualities have resulted in him being recognised this year as one of the 40 under 40 next-gen CPAs. He's also a senior tax accountant at Prager & Metis, a director of new business development at Youthful Savings. And if that's not enough, he's the chair of the New York State Society of CPAs Next Gen Committee. Michael, good evening. It's great to have you here. Good evening. Thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. Um, how do you find time to squeeze everything in? Uh, I just don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> just don't sleep. That's the key. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Uh, give us give us a little bit about, just a bit about your background, Michael. How did you kind of begin to choose getting into finance? So I, I was born in the Bronx um, at about five or six years old. My parents separated. They, they agreed that we'd move to the suburbs of upstate New York outside of Albany. And they felt that that was going to be a better education opportunity. And it was. I, I definitely learned a lot of different things. So when I came back to the city and I had to choose a high school in New York City, we choose from the variety of high schools that we have here. I chose a school that had programs such as the Academy of Finance. That program is part of the National Academy Foundation, which introduced me to accounting in high school, gave me an internship at 16 with KPMG, one of the four largest accounting firms. And I stayed with them for over a year before going on to Baruch College. And I just realized in college how accounting was natural to me. And the fact is that I knew something that most of my friends, most of the people I associated with, and frankly, some of the clients I deal with today just don't understand. And so that's how, that's the path that led me. It was the exposure at 16. It was the opportunity to actually see the real work and not just the textbook. And then um, going into school and just getting a lot of exposure, meeting more accountants, meeting different accountants, public, non-public, people that work for the IRS, people that work for New York City Police Department. So it's a, it was just seeing all of that made me think, okay, I can find something in this field to do. So that's at a really early age, we're beginning to get exposure to all these different types of people. Yes, yes. Okay. So, so what, what kind of incidents maybe stand out then? You mentioned the IRS, you mentioned the police, you mentioned... Uh, you know, they... For someone that age. Yes, it was just seeing people that... Typical accountant, you know, I had the same idea that everyone else had. Little green visor hat, I don't even think they sell those anymore, and a pocket protector. And all <laughs> I knew was accountants were... You know, the only thing I could think of accountant was tax time. I didn't even comprehend that businesses had people keeping their financial records together. I mean, at 16, what do you know about bills to begin with? <laughs> so once I got exposure to that and understood that accountants really work as a part of the business, of any business, that got me thinking about, all right, I originally wanted to be a mechanic. Uh, my grandfather owned a garage and I Fast and the Furious had came out around that time. So I had all these car magazines and that's what I wanted to do. And then with going into high school, getting that exposure and starting in college, I saw, all right, maybe I won't be the mechanic. I'll still be a part of the family business. But my grandfather made sure I never really learned that trade because he felt it was a dime trade and he was right. But um, that part of being part of the family business is what drove me to continue with accounting. I mean, there was a couple of side steps. I thought I might want to be a banker and a couple of other things, but Centered back to accounting. So, the biggest thing that's the, I, sorry, go on. 
I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't answer your question. You asked me what was the biggest thing that stood out to me. So besides yep. being, you know, part of the family business, the thing that stood out to me also was, you know, I was working at McDonald's. And so when they were offering me the internship, which paid a lot more than what I was making at McDonald's, I took it and I got to see what they actually did. And I had an associate at the time come by my desk with a corporate tax return that bigger than an encyclopedia. <laughs> like, it's just huge. And he put it on my desk and he said, do you know what this is? And I was like, stack of paper. I'm an intern. Like, I <laughs> it's a stack of paper. And he said to me, he said, this is someone's tax return for a corporation. Somebody's job was to spend all year working on this. The client has hired us to review it to make sure everything was done right. And then he explained to me he was going to go out and have dinner. He was going to come back to the office. He was going to review it and be home before midnight and relaxing. And he just seemed so calm about it, like if he won the day. Now, granted, he was a gentleman that started later in the day. He wasn't an early riser. But it was just so amazing to see that no one ever really talked about their job in a sense like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And it's and then I'll move on. And that, that caught my attention because in my head, I was thinking, I'm going to be a mechanic, grease, garages are hot. <laughs> and yep. here I am sitting in an office, you know, nicer clothes, not going home smelling like french fries at the time. And I thought to myself, like, <laughs> why did I ever want to do anything else? So that, that those moments, those two pieces, I think really solidified uh, me transitioning from what has been traditionally a blue collar work in my family and breaking away and starting something different. So what, what do you enjoy most about it? Now that you're kind of more mature into it, you've got, you've got some years under your belt. Um, what do you enjoy most? The moment when you help a client and you pull that stress, like you can literally see the stress leaving their face, those moments, that, that is the key to everything I find good about accounting. It's people don't understand money. And when you don't understand something, you quickly get scared. You get uneasy, nervous about doing things. Having someone you trust, and I think that's where the CPA role comes in. Attorneys have their role. Bankers have their roles. But the accountants always look at, like, you don't want anything out of me. I can trust you, which is true. The accountant's entire purpose is to, you know, educate. That's the way I see it. The job is to educate. Educate the client on what's happening and what they can do. I know that you're heavily involved in financial literacy. We're going to discuss that a little bit later on. because I know that that's something that's really important to you. Um, but when you when you're seeing the stress going off the 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 client, would you is it fair to say that most business people don't understand finance themselves? They maybe understand the business part, but the finance is is very separate from them. Yes, yes, that's a hundred percent. I see. True, uh, a lot of business people are they're good at what they do. That's why they create, especially serial entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, and serial entrepreneurs understand very little about finance and the, the the budgets and all that. But you know what they do know is how to sell, what's a good product, you know, whatever their niche is. And so I do find that a lot of business people, they may understand, oh, if I bring in more money, I don't have to worry about the other stuff. And then they come to us and quickly show them like, well, you don't have to worry about bringing in more money. You're already working 80 hours a week. We can show you how to, you know, take some of these expenses out or mitigate them, so that way you can take a vacation. Well, well, okay, so what's when you when you I know this is a generalization. I get that. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about um, what are the biggest mistakes that, that that business people make when it comes to finance in the company. Then some of the biggest mistakes are you know, running personal expenses through the business, what they believe can be, you know, not even um, intentional, but what they believe can be personal, what they believe to be business expenses. Um, you know, I've seen people, you know, run the business out of their, you know, a separate bedroom and they're writing off, you know, weird percentages that don't really add up or people that, you know, they buy luxury cars because they want to look a certain way, but there's a different tax treatment for it. So it's those educations or some, sometimes it's just simple where people just, they go with the first thing they see, you know, or they, they quickly, one of the biggest ones I think of is we had this guy who was 
constantly buying from his local store stationary stuff. And when we explained to him, you know, you go into your local store and you're paying retail price. The quantity you're buying, you should be buying in, in droves. Like maybe go to Walmart would be a better option. Yep. You know, um, and that, you know, shaved about 3% off his expenses. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, between, I mean, it wasn't just stationary stuff, but it was like office equipment and stuff he was buying that he was buying at consumer rate as opposed to a business wholesale value. Um, so when you're not helping clients understand finance, when you're not um, um, educating yourself in financial literacy and helping you leaders, how do you relax? How do I relax? Uh, first thing is coffee. Surprisingly, it's not to keep me up. It's to give me a break from the day. So I really like strong or even artisan coffees. So in the Hispanic culture, we have Bustelo, which I make with an old-fashioned colador, which is, it looks like a stocking on a surface. Okay. And, and you boil the hot water, and I sit there, and I wait for the teapot to boil. I pour it in, and the aromas, as it's, you know, drip brewing, and then that 10, 15 minutes that it takes me to brew the coffee and enjoy it, that's, that's a, I mean, that could literally charge me for about 30 hours. Really? Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, no, I mean, uh, we, we've spoken about age, no doubt we'll speak about age again. I, I remember when, um, when smoking wasn't such as, as such a bad thing and people would take that break and it would be that moment. It was, it was almost the, the going away and doing it. It wasn't having a cigarette or something else. So it sounds like that with the coffee. It's just almost the process of doing it was the calm or the thing that we need to do. What else, what else do you do when you're, when you're not making coffee and you're not accounting? So pre-COVID, I used to swim and train for obstacle courses a lot. So obviously gyms have been closed, so it's been no swimming. And I haven't, with law school, I haven't been able to really get into uh, doing any obstacle course training. But I've done those for a few years, Spartan, Tough Mudder. So I like doing those, and then I like traveling. So I've traveled to Cuba, Dominican Republic, Canada, Mexico, a couple of cities here in the States. So I, I really like getting out and mostly following food. So New Orleans was probably one of my favorite. <laughs> All right. Okay. So New Orleans for food. Well, I, I know the gyms are gyms are kind of reopening now. So do you have any plans maybe to 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 get back into them? Not quite yet. I'm gonna gonna wait it out a little bit and uh, see what happens. Even with school and work and everything else, it's it's been tough to get to the gym. So we'll see. Okay, so what we'll uh, we're just about to go to a break. If, uh, after the break, we'll discuss um, the financial literacy literacy side. <laughs> if I could say that correctly, the financial literacy side, um, because I know that's really important to you. So what we want to kind of delve into is why is it important, what does it bring people, and again, what's the difference that that can make. My name is Graham Dobbin. You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership here live on topradio.nyc. We're speaking with Michael Durant, and we will be back right after these messages. You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back. You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership. We're speaking with Michael Durant. We're live from New York on this Thursday evening. Michael, um, financial literacy, what is it? What do you mean by that? Basic education about the way our society works. I mean, so I mentioned earlier how I moved upstate and got a decent education, uh, one that my parents thought I should have and what I learned there, which was different from what any of my friends would were offered, was home economics, and it literally taught the the checkbook, understanding you know what a budget is, and I had that in junior high school. So when I came back to New York City for high school, and none of my friends knew what that stuff was because when we started with the Academy of Finance and we went in there. We, it assumed that none of us knew anything, but I actually had a little bit of knowledge from this home economics class. Also taught me how to make pizza and sew a pillow, but the the financial part was what stuck. (laughs) Um, And so I always thought like, as I got more into the profession and I started realizing that even clients didn't quite understand and having parents that weren't as financially savvy, I always thought like, why wasn't everybody taught the same basic concepts and then realizing none of my friends had it then you know i have younger brothers they didn't have it and i started seeing all these volunteer organizations that were doing financial literacy and i was like yeah this this is what we should do and so i started volunteering with some programs and then i went on to partner with an actual high school here in the bronx and with the Academy of Finance as an alumni and working with the programs and opportunities for students to learn financial literacy. And then, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is giving the, t- the teachers that opportunity to step back for a minute and, you know, teaching a student how money works in their hands. So one thing I've done with middle school students is I've given them a bag of change, about a dollar worth. And I said, all right, let's imagine who here wants to make hundred dollars an hour and like, yeah i do and i was like all right so for let's assume this one dollar is worth the change that's in front of you is your hundred dollars so first thing we got to do is we got to take out for taxes and explain to them that taxes are pay for your teacher they pay for the desk you sit in are they happy they about that are they happy about it paying for a teacher <laughs> I've never heard a student say, oh, they can have more. (laughs) But I have heard students say when talking about taxes, which is a a whole different topic that I try not to tread into, is I have heard them say, well, I don't want to pay for that service. Oh, you know, um, the garbage man is like, well, why can't I just throw out my own trash? Why do I have to pay someone? It's like, well, that's what taxes do. And explaining to them that and how... You know, I leave that to the social studies teachers to explain how tax law is made (laughs) and what that entails. But going through that and teaching them, all right, you got to pay taxes first. And then, you know, you have health insurance. You got to pay that. You know, your parents have to pay rent and all these things. And when they look at their their change and now they're down to 35 cents out of a dollar and you see their faces and they're like, well, how do I stop that? this is what you do. This is where, you know, being an accountant comes into play, understanding, putting, you know, what I tell them is pre-tax money 
And that comes out before taxes and taxes equals less. And they, they get excited about that. So teaching those things really, you know, encouraged me to go further. Then I went on to high school students, college students, and I've done a few continuing education programs. So what age group do you enjoy working with the most? The group I love working with the most is the same group I, I, I dislike working with the most. And it's the high school students. It's because in junior high school, kids are very, they're interested in everything. So just having someone in a the room, they immediately are like, what do you have to say? And so for me, going into high schools are, is both a challenge because the students are preoccupied and also an opportunity because what I tell them in that classroom will shape them as it did me for possibly the rest of their lives. So I always try to relate it very personal to students. I like working with small groups because with a high school student, even if they don't want to be involved with what you're talking about, if you start talking to them about being wealthy or having a nice car or figuring out what it is that triggers them, you know, nice, all the sneakers, they cost money. Let me, let me explain to you how you could own Nike instead of just buy Nike. And all those triggers, and when I see them open up and like they start having a conversation, then the bell rings, and they're like, "Wait, but one more question." Wow. Then I feel good about it. I feel good about it. I feel like that that may be the one that you know either becomes a CPA or at least is going to be you know look to controlling their finances for the future. So is that the kind of thing that is that something that drives you when you get someone just say one more question? Let's stay back. That extra two that, minutes. <laughs> that is exactly what drives me between that and, you know, just the thought of students, you know, changing their lives, like not, you know, understanding, oh, going into college, credit card debt. It's one thing when people tell you, oh, you're going into college, don't get involved with credit card debt. It's another thing when someone walks you through an example of yourself where you decide, oh, I want to live, you know, in Brooklyn and how much is rent in Brooklyn? You got an iPhone, right? Pull it out. Tell me what's the average rent. And then they put in, they're like, oh, I got to make X amount of dollars just to survive. Now tell me what you want to do in life. And that really helps bridge the connection. Well, um, again, because as much as you, you're touching as many people as you can, I think it's probably fair to say that most students don't get that, that financial knowledge, that financial literacy. What are they missing out on? So we, we know what, what students are getting, kind of that awareness. But what's the kind of things that happen when we don't have it, that knowledge? Understanding simple budgets, having someone who, you know, living beyond their means. If you can, if you write down how much you make and then all your expenses, you can visually see what's taking all your money. But if no one ever taught you how to do that, you're probably not going to do it. You know, running up credit card debt, understanding or just not being surprised by taxes. You know, that I think when I was in high school and I, I, it, my first job, I was like, all right, I'm making five seventy five an hour. I work 20 hours a week. This is how much money I'm expecting. And that's not what I got. <laughs> right. so, I, <laughs> so I think that's one thing. And just giving them the, the thought process of as you go ahead in life. Look at 401ks, look at retirement, look at, you know, what is life insurance? Why would I need that? You know, um, other aspects, savings bonds or CDs, these opportunities that you don't need a lot of money to take advantage of. You just need to know they're there. And I think that is the biggest thing they're missing out on. They're unaware of the little things they can do to set themselves up for financial future. Okay. So you enjoy working with kind of the youth on, on Teach Them, but you're also involved with uh, the Next Gen. You've been named um, as one of the 40 under 40 Next Gen CPAs. How did that feel? That was, that was I, I'm very appreciative. It was, it was exciting. It was unexpected when they announced them. Um, you know, I wasn't quite sure that I would make it. Like, I, I felt like I would because I do a lot. But I was like, hmm, maybe there are. You know, I meet a lot of amazing young CPAs. And I'm like, if I had to pick 40, 
I don't know. I might be 39 on the list. Maybe 40. <laughs> were they ranked? They didn't rank them. Did they, they? they were not ranked. Ah, okay. So, no. So, but if I had to but you were first, top- obviously. <laughs> you would have been first. We know you would have been. Um, what's, what kind of criteria do they go into when they're choosing these types of things? How, you know, having... You may have noticed I'm slightly over forty, so I've kind of given that up. I'm not going to. Ha- I'm not going to get that chance. So, could you tell us what's the criteria? So, for us, it was based on leadership. You know, have you exhibited leadership in the State Society of CPAs? Have you exhibited leadership in your firm, you, or had you exhibited leadership in your community? And as long as you checked one of those three boxes, that was the leadership. There was a bit of service to the society because obviously they're (laughs) appointing you. Um, And then there was also the criteria of what did you, where did you impact? So they had people who nominated you had to say what they saw, both you as a professional and you as a person. And I think that was a good blend. It wasn't just, are you a good accountant? There's plenty of good accountants, but it was also, you know, your, your leadership, in your service to the, the society or the profession itself. It's really interesting. I think virtually every single week that, that uh, I've got a guest on here, we get to the point of we can all be good at our skills. We can all be good at our roles. It, that's not that's not enough. Leadership comes from, you know, comes from the heart, comes from the mind, comes from attitudes, comes from how we approach things. So it's that difference, and it sounds like that's what. So, did you get any indication of the impact? Did they give you some of the some of the ideas and feedback that people gave? Not directly, but I did. The people that I asked to nominate me, and some people who nominated me without me asking, uh, did reach out to say that they mentioned me, and some of them did mention what they felt my biggest contribution was either to the society or the profession. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you feel this as well, that, that especially when we're emerging as leaders, as we're developing, it's sometimes it's a surprise how much we touch other people without realizing. Yeah. You know? Yes. I, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten over the years was I was at an event with you and you took this extra minute. And to me, that minute was de minimis. I didn't even think of it. But just that minute, and I think that's why that one more question aspect really yep. drives it. So I, I, was, I was working with a client yesterday, and we've not worked since, I think, last November. And they said to me, something that you said was really prophetic then, and it came, it came to fruition, and we remembered, and I went, what did I say? And it was almost <laughs> like a throwaway observation that I'd come up with in the moment, said, well, I think this is, might be what will happen. And they, they dismissed it with a bit of a chat and then just moved on. I'd really forgotten about it. And they said, yeah, in April this year, it did happen. And this is what we needed to do. We remembered the advice that you gave, even though we dismissed it at the time. And it, it's surprising just sometimes the little tidbits that we give of how, how it, what it means to other people. What we're going to do when we come back from the, the, the break, Michael, is, is really delve into the next gen. What does it mean? So what you're doing as somebody who's helping to develop those leaders, but kind of what they're going through as well at the moment, how they're approaching things, and maybe some of the things that us older people have forgotten about that we need to, uh, we need to bear in mind when we're, when we're talking about people who are developing their leadership skills and they're on that path. So you're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. We're speaking to Michael Duran, who's the chair of the New York State Society of CPAs Next Gen Committee. He is, uh, he is business development at um, Youthful Finance, and or Youthful Savings rather, and also a senior tax accountant at Prager Metis. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. 
love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're speaking with Michael Durant this evening. Michael, um, the role that we met in was you as the chair of the New York uh, State Society of CPAs and the Next Gen Committee. Just can you give us a bit of an idea of what does that role entail? It's a volunteer role and it's a leadership position at the same time. So my goal or my role is to both build programming and build camaraderie among young CPAs under 40 is the category and throughout the entire New York state. So downstate, which includes more than just New York city, um, all the way upstate Buffalo, Rochester area, as high as Utica. So my job is to oversee 15 chapter committees that do the work on the ground And my job is to hear their needs and their wants and communicate that up. And then also hear the needs and the wants of the society as a, as a organization and what they need and push that down and do it in a way that one encourages my members to get involved, make it easy for us because we are young staff members. So there's a lot of work for us and very little playtime. And the playtime we do have does not usually entail, we do not usually want more work. But if you give it just enough bite size, a tease, yep. people will do it because they do care about this profession. They didn't spend years in school. And for those of us that passed the CPA exam, the hard exams, just to say, okay, got the title, I'm done working at it. Um, a lot of us do want to give back. And a lot of our programming is focused around community service and member interaction. So it's fun stuff like golfing and outings and all pre-COVID. Now what we're doing is what you were a guest on is our virtual Fridays at four. And so this is just a way for us to keep our members active and give them information that they want. Um, one, I know one of the things we spoke of off air about was when we talk about next gen, I've had so many discussions recently about, uh, well, we remember 2008, this is what happened. This is what happened to the economy and we bounced back or, or whatever. And yeah, everybody's saying that this is very different, but they've got some kind of, of guide, some kind of, of yardstick to, to measure things by. Is that, I'm, I'm guessing that's not the case with next gen or with under 40-year-olds. Don't have that. No, we, um, I mean, for some of us do. I entered the workforce right as 2008 hit. I graduated high school in 2007, so I was at KPMG when 2008 hit. Um, and then I went on to work at a, a mid-large size uh, law firm, and I got to see the impact of 2008 there. So I did see a lot of it. Now, next gen includes people slightly older than me, and all the way down to, I guess you call them Gen Z now, 
who are coming out of college or coming out of high school. I've 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 lost I've lost how many like got now, mate. So with with those groups, yeah, there there's a, a, a significant amount of us who don't have anything to measure it by. And there's a significant amount of us who have recent memory of 2008. And it wasn't just, you know, oh, recession was over, jobs came back. It didn't happen that way. Um, And I doubt that it will happen this way too. You know, firms have been able to operate with less people. I doubt they're going to open back up and say, yeah, let's let's bring on more employees that we don't need. Um, So I think the, the fear for us or the concern is, where are the jobs going to be and how will we work them? You know, whether at home, virtually. Good thing for accountants is I don't feel we have as much fear. Next-gen accountants have as much fear because a lot of firms have been hiring. You know, with COVID, our jobs didn't change that much. We were just as busy. I felt all summer we were busy, which was because our clients were scared. So they wanted to know what was going on. In the legal realm, we were getting updates all the time. So I feel for accountants, we we don't have that fear of, oh, there's not going to be any jobs and we are on the rise. But for other industries, I have friends who are in just about every industry. And yeah, there's a bit of concern there. I do think as the once the economy opens back up, we will have a pop, a bubble of new employment. That's guaranteed, I think so. Um, but I think long-term firms that even struggle through the the remote session when they come back to full operations they will then reevaluate things and look at you know what if this happens again or you know what were the benefits of that so i think there is a bit of concern where companies are going to look to eliminate jobs as accountants i don't think we have as much concern because we're there's still that stuff that computers can't do is there is it that's interesting because you're looking at your members, you're looking at your industry and looking at how that will survive or how it will adapt and how it will be flexible. But on the other side, you're also looking at businesses saying, here's how you can cut expense, here's how you can you know, do things maybe slightly differently that's going to have a positive financial impact. Is there, is there a conflict there at any point where you turn around and say, no, you don't need to go back into the office or you don't need to hire that other person? It is a conflict in a sense that you know, I am, you know, talking someone out of employing another person. But I also look at it as an opportunity. Here I'm helping this business owner save what may be two salaries. Maybe he was looking to bring on a manager or something. And that's two salaries where now he's saving that money and can invest it into his employee's health insurance or invest it into his employee's retirement. You know, and that side, you know, you know, there's never a, a full balance, but you try to weigh it out and figure out where to land. I think, you know, my duty is to the client and to give them the best advice possible. And so that's what I'll do. And my mentorship and my leadership outside will help me like, oh, you can't find a job. Well, let me help you get the skills or show you where to get the skills to get a job at something different. I mean, maybe that was a bit of an unfair question because I understand it's not linear and that somebody saves the money there, then it may save a whole load of other jobs. It mm-hmm. may make the company a little bit more stable and you can, you can see that going forward. I'm also thinking about the, the when, we, when we're talking about emerging leaders, people who are developing themselves as business people and as accountants. There's a lot of responsibility there then to, especially in a time like this, which with so much uncertainty, there's a lot of responsibility there maybe to give the right advice. And, and the right support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is a lot of responsibility there. It's it's a balancing act, uh, you know, between your obligations as an employee, you know, your your obligations to yourself. I feel like being a leader in emerging business development is an obligation to myself and my future. You know, as my career prospers, bringing in business, developing a book of business showcasing leadership, showcasing technical skills, it it builds my brand. So the balance is really like, as much as I give the the job, the office, I give myself in that that counterintuitive. So that's why I'm going to law school, because I felt like 
yes, it'll benefit the firm. Obviously, a CPA, JD is a, is a powerful combination. But also for myself, I felt like I wanted to go to law school. Like I always wanted to see what was, you know, I worked at a law firm for six years and I was like, I saw some of the happiest and most miserable people at the same time. And I was like, <laughs> but what can make someone so happy and miserable at the same time? And then I started reading, you know, going to law school. I started going to law school. And I was like, oh, I know why now. <laughs> it's very interesting stuff, but the volume of it's very uh, difficult to handle. So um, I think it is a balance of finding what you give to the firm. You also have to give yourself and the stuff that you give yourself should make you feel good. And if that's, for me, it's serving others. Yeah. For other people, you know, it might be bike riding. Okay. So what's your focus in law school then? What, what's it you're doing there? So the JD is a general degree. It's similar to getting your bachelor's in liberal arts. It's just every bit of law. Right now I'm studying evidence and family law and torts. So <laughs> the very interesting and complex areas of law. Uh, my goal is to working as a CPA is to focus in tax law and economic policy. So when, um, is this something that you would advise others to do or is this a really, is this a personal thing? I see, I see your face <laughs> lighting up because you, you obviously enjoy it. <laughs> I, I do, I do. But every attorney I've ever met, when I told them I want to go to law school, the first thing out of their mouths is why? Like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> and now being there, I see why, but I would say I would advise people who are interested in that aspect of the accounting field. There's a lot of blending, a lot of gray area. Um, my firm itself has an entire practice dedicated to tax controversy, and those people are lawyers who deal with the IRS and settling issues on behalf of our clients. So there's a lot of interesting aspects to it. A lot of the partners at my firm that I work with directly are JD CPAs. I want to work in my high net worth space and trust and estate planning. So that just adds a little bit of credibility and also just understanding how those different mechanisms work, not only for the financial part and tax preparing, but also the legal part, the, the, the estate planning for the client and understanding, finding that balance and helping the, the attorney who's drafting these documents find that balance. Because it's not always in sync that the lawyer wants the same thing that accountant wants. Never. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your goal then as the chair? I mean, how, how long is your tenure on this? So I have another nine months or so. So this I've been a year and a half as chair. And my goal is to continue to build on the infrastructure that we have here. To, you know, we've gotten communication. We've I've educated some of my chapter members didn't even know that there was a statewide committee, and bringing that into focus, giving them the knowledge that things that are going on in the background of the society that we've been asking for different you know areas of leadership and development that the society has been working on it just hasn't been communicated to us, and I think that was a lot of the frustration is developing. The communication channels where it's a two-way street. Okay. Um, and it's, it's also a big job in any committee or any company getting that, getting those communication channels going both ways. I know the experience isn't the easiest thing to do. And um, we're listening to, or you're listening to, The Mind Behind Leadership. Uh, we're speaking with Michael Durant this evening. Um, after the break, we're going to just dig in a little bit more about what the particular challenges are for those emerging leaders, what's coming out, what kind of support they will need. And also, I'm going to be asking Michael, give him a little bit of time to think about it, what's the three traits that he thinks you know a great leader must have? And uh, we'll be talking about that when we come right back after these messages. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. 
you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com So you're welcome back to the Mind Behind Leadership uh, with me, Graham Dobbin. We're speaking to Michael Durant. Michael, just um, in the the, the, the the society in the next gen, we were speaking before the break about just some of the challenges that come up. Now, as you know, I run leadership programs. I've done it with emerging leaders, but I think one t- sometimes there's a there's a there's a danger that we guess at what's happening out there. So what's really happening? What what are the kind of challenges that come up? with some of your members? What do you hear? I think some of the biggest things are frustration to change. I think in, you know, hopefully if we had to look for a silver lining in COVID, I think it it forced a lot of older generations to adjust. And I think for everybody, change is scary. But once they did it, and, you know, we've been doing it for three, four months now, people really start to look at it like, okay, I I did it. You know, it's always, it's always difficult until it's done. And so I think uh, the frustration that people, you know, there's an easier way, a a much more, you know, cheaper sometimes way of doing things. And I think there's been a lot of frustration to change. I think hopefully with that, that'll, that, that this era has changed that perception I think one of our other biggest things is that when it comes to that change is the progression in accounting is always re- has always been very linear. And what we're finding now with a lot of next-gen uh, members is that they're branching off. Like You can learn a lot from the internet. And maybe I spend five, ten years with a firm yep. and building up towards that partner or, or manager track. If I don't want to work 60 hours, I don't need to. You know, I can go off and start a, I have friends who have automation businesses, friends who are accountants who become teachers. I have friends who are professors, uh, recruiters. You can be an accountant and then flip to another aspect of it that you enjoy, adding both that technical skill, knowing what an accountant's looking for, but also servicing an accountant. I think that's the the other aspect. And then when it comes to leadership, there are accountants who, you know, go out there and their job is to teach, you know, how to sell your business and how to grow your business and just how to operate your firm in 2020, you know? So I think the frustration with change, the frustration with the concept of a linear progression, I think those things are definitely some of the biggest. And I think the lack of communication that, you know, some of the firms also exhibit. And it's an, it's a bottom-up ch- challenge and a top-down challenge as well. I think another, another large issue that NextGen has is the diversity in firms. I think they're seeing that a lot of diversity, both minorities, women, and also age. You know, there, there are a lot of things that firms do that younger people want to participate in. And I think a lot of firms are coming to terms with that and looking instead of saying, oh, we wait for them to say, oh, I want to get involved. And now we're looking down and saying, hey, do you want to get involved? And having that person respond, yes, I've been waiting all my life for you to ask me this question. So I think that that's changing for us, I I hope. 
So, do you, do you, so the next gen are the positive drivers when we look at diversity, when we're looking at, at, at things differently. Is that what we're saying? I think it's both sides. I think next gen is definitely pushing it because we grew up with friends all over, you know, especially here in New York City, but even people who are not from as diverse a city, Mm -hmm. you know, the internet, colleges, every, just being aware of the world around us, people are seeing diversity. And I think from the top, they're seeing diversity as both a a leadership issue because as they retire, someone needs to take the reins. And I think they're also seeing it when it comes to business development. You know, as more minorities are looking for teams that look like them, you know, if I'm a a woman business owner, I want at least, you know, a woman on my team. Or if I'm a young person, I don't want to talk to the 60 year old partner who's telling me the same stuff he's been telling people for 30 years. I want to talk to the 30 year old who is looking at the same stuff I'm looking at, who feels the same way I'm feeling. So I think from the business perspective, they're seeing that. And from just our own well-being, I think next generers are really pushing that movement. You know, it's really heartening to hear you using the word, they're pushing it. Because the amount of times that I've, I've worked with, you know, younger groups, and it's about finding their voice, giving them, you know, letting them know that they've actually earned the right to be in the room if they're in a meeting or something like that, so their opinion matters. And and it, it, it's vitally important for every business to understand the, the diversity on backgrounds, minorities, age, everything, brings it all into the mix. One of the biggest draws for me to come to New York was the diversity of it. We absolutely loved it. So that, that, that was huge. Um, how many, so looking at leadership, you're obviously extremely driven for yourself personally, but also for those around you. I know that you've had an impact on others. I know that I've seen it and I've heard it. Who do you look up to? Who do I look up to? Yeah. Um, I have a few mentors that I think, you know, when I started at the law firm, I had um, my boss at the time, Larry Emerson, was from a similar background as me, socially economics. And he had achieved so much and he did it his way. And when he would sit me down and tell me how he achieved what he achieved, he always said, but don't do it that way. (laughs) If I knew what I knew now, I would never do it that way again. Um, But he instilled in me the value of like always looking, you know, five years ahead, but, you know, living in the moment. So that's definitely one person, um, Sharif Ford, who was a mentor for me at KPMG and we're friends to this day. He just showed me how it could be fun to be an accountant. Like you can be all about business and then go back and still have fun at happy hour. Just be able to get up the next morning for that 8 a.m. meeting, you know, find the balance. And I think he was a big influence. And then there, there I mean, there are so many people that have, touched me little by little. Um, You know, I've had in the society, I've had past presidents. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Jay Michael and Rumbi, who, you know, they they instilled in me that you can go beyond this. Even now, they're encouraging me to go beyond next gen. Like, what's, they they call me and email me and ask me, what's next? What's next? Yeah. And that would be nice. (laughs) But after I wake up. (laughs) So I think, I think the the people that I look up to are the people that believe in me and push me. You know, I have, um, you know, even speaking wise, I have uh, our president Aisha from our Toastmasters who has pushed me to, you know, get more involved and do more speaking opportunities. And I think it's working out well, but I think it's for me, I look up to people that push me and who I also see, you know, for me looking at them is they're reaching down and pulling up as well as standing behind me and pushing me. And I think that's the people I really look at. So it's an interesting thing. I, I learned this very young. Um, I remember with a, an extremely good uh, boss that I had, I asked him uh, how he did it. And he said he surrounded himself with better people than him. And it was always about pulling people up, having people that even pushed him up rather than doing it the other mm-hmm. way around. I, I'm going to touch on, we don't have long left. I'm going to touch on just a couple of things. I think we know each other well enough that I can ask you this question. Um, CPAs, you said it can be fun. Would it be fair that CPAs don't have necessarily the, the, the perception of them might be as boring or staid or 
or maybe not that fun person you would want to be with? I think that's the perception. Yeah. But I can tell you my first next-gen event. <laughs> it was a Toy for Top fun drive, and we were at a bar, and there were drinks for a certain price and donations and toy gifts. And then after, you know, the, I would say, the older generation stepped out. They weren't staying to 10 o'clock at night. Once they stepped out, it was like, okay, now we can really have fun. And I've been to so many of those events and we've actually changed them now where we're not going to start off trying to look like something we're not. We're going to start off with the party. So we've done ping pong nights and we've done all these other different types of events where it's like the party starts now. And I think that's when people realize, oh, countings can be fun. I've worked with enough of my time that I know it's not true, but I also know what the perception is and, and kind of what comes in our mind. Just before we, we wrap up this evening, um, giving you a bit of time, what are the three to show for any leader? So I would say first is service. You know, a, a leader is not someone who tells people what to do, but encourages them to do things. I think that's where working with the society has benefited most. It's entirely organized by volunteers. Yep. I think credibility. And with that, I mean, you know, including trust that, you know, you build this up over time. You can be all about service, but if you constantly fall short, people are not going to look to you. And then I think the last part is humility. And for me, I've received a lot of accommodations, accolades, and I oftentimes forget them. But, you know, I'm always looking for what's the next thing I can do for someone else. And I think as a leader, if you keep that that idea that, you know, yeah, you achieve something great, but what's even greater is the next person achieving it too, or even better. So, so service, credibility, and humility. Michael Duran, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on tonight, get your insights, get some views, and see what really drives you. My guess is that uh, we'll maybe have another conversation like this uh, in a few months' time and just see what else has changed. Thanks so much for your time. Um, you've been listening to The Mind Behind Leadership, live from New York on talkradio.nyc. My name's Graham Dobbin, and thank you for this evening. Good night. Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to 
the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 